Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello there, movie truthers. It's Michael Leader here, back once again with one of these remote lockdown specials for Truth and Movies. Tonight, I'm joined by Adam Woodward. Adam, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to nice to speak to you. Oh, it's great to finally have you on because, of course, we've had um, Hannah, we've had David, we've had Sophie Monks Kaufman as well. So now we're just completing the set. How have you been? Uh, yeah, pretty good, I think, in in, in spite of the circumstances. Um, keeping busy, watching lots of movies. Anything you'd recommend? Well, um, I did just watch the new Josephine Decker film. Shirley oh. and I, and I've had a kind of sneak peek at and yeah H- Hannah has been has been singing the praises of that one since um Sundance back in January uh and, yeah, and so one f- of the hotly tipped films of the year yeah re- actually really nice to kind of catch up with a, a new release because it feels like everything was just wiped off the schedules um and actually I've, I've sort of taken that opportunity to uh, to, to really dive into the into the sort of annals of cinema, and I, I've I've mostly been watching really old movies actually from like, uh, yeah, a lot a lot of stuff from the like thirties and forties, and and mm. some good stuff on on movie and BFI player and, and and a few other places. So, um, but yeah, no, nice to actually watch some new stuff. Oh, that's terrific! I hope I get some time to watch some new stuff soon. I'm still not really keeping up with any film watching still very much watching a lot of cbb's which seems to be a thread running through all these pods i spoke to you a few weeks ago i think you said you hadn't watched a single film i think since then i have okay um i think i i, I re-watched tokyo godfathers the satoshi Kon anime a few weeks ago because i was uh, refreshing my memory of that film um since then though just haven't really had much time to or maybe I've been instead diving into video games and music which is actually a good thing because the topic of this chat tonight is going to be about music and particularly film soundtracks film soundtracks on vinyl as well (laughs) Adam I think you had this idea for this chat can you tell us a bit of the thinking behind it yeah well I kind of thought it would be fun to chat to you about um, as a fellow wax aficionado um, I've, I've been noticing you've been kind of posting your 
you know what what you've been listening to on on Twitter and um, and and yeah, d- digging into the vault and and playing some really good stuff. And and I just yeah, I was kind of curious to see as as someone who's a lover of both film and music, how that intersected and whether your collection had 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 much kind of good uh, movie vinyl. You know, maybe we should just head this off at the pass then, right up front. I don't actually have th- that many soundtracks in my record collection, even though I love film music and will single out many scores as among my favourite pieces of music of all time. I've just not really got around to getting much of it on vinyl. When you asked me about this the other day, or you seeded this conversation, I went and went through the racks. I only have maybe four or five or six albums. So we, when we were thinking of bringing in a show-and-tell sort of uh, setup our three favourite soundtracks. The pickings were quite slim for me. I think I'm, I might as well just say which ones I would highlight out of my collection. I have a really great copy that I've um, inherited from my dad of uh, Wendy Carlos's soundtrack for um, A Clockwork Orange, the Kubrick film, which is a bit intense, not necessarily one to listen to all day, every day, uh, but it's a great one that I'm, I'm very happy to have there. One album I do return to a lot is the um, soundtrack with Jim Jarmusch's Only Lovers Left Alive, which is half him and his band Squirrel, which is some great fuzzed out stoner rock, and then half <laughs> some really nice blissed out um, garage rock music. And one album I'd shout, I think it might be a bit of a cheat, is one that I have bought recently. One thing that I did, I've been doing over this lockdown period, particularly around Record Store Day, which happened a few weeks ago, but right in the middle of this lockdown, is trying to support independent record stores up and down the country. Um, I bought a really nice copy of um, Miles Davis's album Jack Johnson, which is an album that most people don't realise is actually a soundtrack to a film that very few people have seen, the documentary about the boxer. And that is just an incredible album, whether it's married to a film or not. Mm. But maybe we'll get into the reasons why I don't have many albums um, as we talk. But did you come with a couple of albums to recommend, Adam? Yeah, I mean, just to sort of backtrack slightly... um... I mean, you say you've got very few in your collection and it's it's sort of the same for me. I mean, I've, I'd say overall it probably makes up only like one or two percent of, of everything I have. Um, but they tend to be. They tend to be soundtracks, which for me, they kind of stand alone from the films. Hmm. Um and and they and they're usually for you know they're usually from films that I, I greatly admire and have some kind of personal connection to as well. But there, but you know, there's a lot of I think there are a lot of really great soundtracks which would probably be quite good to own on record. But I'm not sure I'd I'd ever really be in the mood to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones I the ones I've kind of picked out, I've sort of veered away from the more obvious stuff because um, I I do have I do have a couple of sort of classics in there. Um, and and also stuff which is um, perhaps like a great album from a not particularly great film or well known film. Mm-hmm. So um, something like M- Marvin Gaye's uh, soundtrack to Trouble Man, which is I think one of his yeah, best yeah. records. But like you know the film the film isn't really up to much. Um, so there's, there's a few like that and a few sort of st- stranger artifacts uh, like the the Twin Peaks soundtrack, which I think is. Um, you know, again, a bit of a classic, but not one I I, I really have the impulse to play much. Um, the ones I picked out, I think they're 
weirdly, I've only sort of realised this as, as we're chatting now, but they're 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 I think they're soundtracks which I've acquired you know at different intervals of, over the years, and but they're all from films from that I, that I kind of first watched at quite a formative time. Um, so this would have been I, I guess kind of col- late college, early university age. Um, when I was really getting into vinyl, especially, and and obviously was 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 big into my films, and it was it was around that time I I kind of inherited a lot of um, records from my dad, uh, who's who's still very much alive and kicking, but you know basically just like offloaded a load of his old records onto mm-hmm. me, um, and and there's all sorts of stuff in there, and there's kind of regular, um, it's it's mostly kind of regular music, uh, n- not soundtracks and. There's lots of like weird comedy albums and things like that, and like live Monty Python stuff, and um, but that was like what really I think got me into having music on vinyl, and especially reading. I, I think this is something you don't really get with the CD thing, um, and something which I you know people often talk about the the audio quality of vinyl over something like uh, CDs and and MP3s, but my my first experience is more that. I, I really treasured the the tactile, like the physical object of, of the sleeve mm-hmm. and like reading the liner notes and, and you know, production notes and things and, and you know, random little etchings that are in the run outs and mm-hmm. all these kind of hidden Easter eggs and things, which I think, yeah, you don't really necessarily notice in, in CD format or in any other format. Um, and I think these, yeah, these soundtracks are, are ones which I just think have really great stories behind them as well. Um, that so the the first one, which is from what one of my top films ever, I think is definitely up in the top ten. Is um, Ry Cooder's score for Paris, Texas? Brilliant, yeah. Which is, um, yeah, it's 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 obviously a bit of a classic and. Um, I think the the director of Invenders has described it as as being this kind of sacred musical text, and uh, and it's just one of those albums that r- really kind of transports me to a specific time and place, and that isn't a time and place of me kind of watching the film. It's like it really immerses me, I think, in the in, in the actual like setting of the of the film, and it's it's obviously a place I've never visited, but. Um, yeah, it's just I, it's just that slide guitar and the it, is there something very kind of ethereal and almost like existential about it? I think, um, and yeah, it's just one of those soundtracks that not not something I want to listen to kind of every day or even every week. But when when you kind of put it on, you know, it's one of those you gotta you gotta kind of turn it up and just like lay down and close your eyes and listen to the whole thing. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, I, I I do love that that score. I I would like to pick it up someday. It's funny with scores. One other album I do have, which is one I've picked up recently, is the soundtrack to Warren Beatty's film Reds. Oh wow! And I saw that film when I was at university when it finally came out on DVD over here. I think in the mid two thousands, <laughs> and fell in love with. It has basically only two real themes. I think the entire score is one that that Stephen Sondheim contributed a song and a theme and then Dave Grusin did the rest mm. and when I fa- when I finally got my hands on the record and played it one evening I just realised it's actually a bit of a slog of an album to listen to because it's just rearrangements 
of the same theme over and over. And that's almost a problem I have with many traditional scores Mm. is if it's a film where there is a a handful of key themes and leitmotifs, you're in for listening to them over and over. Whereas something, one album I would love to buy someday is um, Jim Jarmusch's, the soundtrack for Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man, Mm. the Neil Young score. I know some listeners tweeted at us saying that they have that as a pride in their collection and that's just something where you can really sink yourself into this improvised piece of I think it's harmonium and guitar that yeah. Neil Young composed while watching the film and you, you'll probably never get bored and never it'll never be predictable the reason why I have so few records soundtrack records that is is um, because I, when I started collecting in earnest a few years ago I set myself some strict rules because otherwise I just buy everything Mm -hmm. and give myself over to impulse. So I set myself quite a strict um, maximum price that I I wouldn't pay over a certain amount for records. And also I would only pick stuff up that I'd find by chance in record stores. I've only recently broken that when I've started buying stuff online. And that's probably why I have such a random collection. Also probably what stopped me from getting some of these Lux reissues that mm. Death Waltz or Mondo put out, which are just absolutely gorgeous, and the final's coloured, the packaging is immaculate, they have you know, special artwork, but they are a little bit pricey. Do you have many of those, Adam? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a sort of bit of a snob when it comes to things like these special-ish editions and things which which are, you know... Things like Record Store Day have obviously been co-opted by the sort of ma- major labels now, it, and obviously it's a it's a, it's still a great um, it's still a great uh, initiative and and does support independent record stores. But I mean, I remember being in a, a local uh, a store local to me a couple of years back, and it was like the day before Record Store Day, and um, yeah, one one of the members of staff was just unloading a box filled with like, you know picture discs of of like the space jam soundtrack or something which had been reissued and it and it was probably going for like 30 quid or something and it's it's just one of those um yeah one of those things is a bit of a purist i mean i totally i totally get i think that's that setting those parameters as you have i i totally get that you know one of the beautiful things about collecting and and i'm not a, a really avid collector but I think one of the great things is that discovery element and and really you know crate digging and that that moment when you kind of find something that you've been looking for or I don't know if you keep a, a physical or like a mental list of stuff but I, I'm I, I you know I've often got a few things jostling around in the back of my mind when I'm looking through crates and in dusty old record shops and I, I'd much sooner have that moment of discovery than queue up to to part with my hard and coin for some kind of you know limited release that's pressed on like mega heavyweight vinyl and coloured and essentially something which looks cool but you don't really ever want to play. Yeah, I absolutely do have a list like that, and in fact, I, I wonder if it was actually captured on our Rotterdam podcasts. But um, Rotterdam, when we we're out there for the film festival earlier in the year, seems like years ago now. Rotterdam has really great record stores. And David and I, maybe in between screenings, went for an hour, went off down the road that all the record stores were on, and I found some records I've never seen over here that have been on that list for for ages. I think one of them was the album Wish You Were Here by Badfinger, which was oh, wow. 
issued over here and and in the states but they had a they, they, they had a problem with the record label something about contractual disputes so the album was pulled quite quickly and it's an amazing record it's finally been reissued now but i really wanted um uh, an actual pressing from way back when mm. and i went up to the desk and said oh you know i've been looking for this in london for so long i've never seen it before it's great and the guy just sort of like rolled his eyes and went yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> one person's discovery is another person's ballast i guess i've got i gotta say actually one of the like one of the real perks of of this job is uh or, or a sort of add-on i guess is like anytime i go to a, a new city uh, for like a film festival and Rotterdam is a great example, but I, I was thinking of a couple of years ago, I went to a, a, a quite a small documentary festival in, in Porto. And uh, yeah, I, I'll always carve out time o- over the course of that, you know, weekend or whatever to, to check out the local record stores. And that, that's always like a real treat, I think, just seeing, I mean, that, you know, record stores, especially secondhand record stores are all, they're all kind of the same in a way. There's like a real you know there's like a familiarity there i think even if you go to to a quite a specialist one um just the the feeling the atmosphere i think is often quite quite similar and there's something quite comforting about that if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with juvederm volbella xc or juvederm ultra xc do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So you, you gave us the first album. Want to, want to give us the second? Yeah, these are the, uh, these are kind of picked out quite randomly, I must say. But I've I've played them all again, and they're they're, they're records that I just think really hold up now. Um, the, the second one is um, Carter Burwell's soundtrack to the Coen Brothers' Miller's Crossing from nineteen ninety, which I think is his. I think it's like the second or third score he did for them. His first ever score was was Blood Simple, which is obviously Joel Cohen's directorial debut debut as well. So they, they kind of go way back, and he he's still, I think he did Hail Caesar. He's kind of still doing films with them now. But um, I I think Miller's Crossing was the first uh, time he'd ever worked with an orchestra and actually written orchestral an an, an orchestral composition, um, and it's just like a really beautiful. I I don't know how how recently you you've seen Miller's Crossing. But it's a it's a really kind of brutal film. I mean, you know, the Coen brothers often do do blend tragedy and comedy and light and dark, and this is like a really pretty, unrelentingly heavy going thing. And uh, and the score just adds this lightness um, and, and a real kind of there's a real like humanity in the score as well. Like it it, it feels like there's something it's like a connection to to something the very very soulful and very human and I, I remember we did a really 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 fascinating interview with Carter Bowell a couple of years ago and he sort of spoke about um the inspiration for various soundtracks that he's worked on and he was sort of saying that this uh, he'd seen the film and it was like a rough edit with it with no music I don't think there was even any temp music on it and he was really struck by how kind of brutal and, and cold it was and he, and he wanted to do something quite warm and uh apparently, yeah apparently Joel Cohen his his note back to him was, "Could you do something quite hard and cold?" <laughs> and uh, so they went they went with something a bit more neutral. Um, but it's yeah, it's a re- it's a really amazing score. It's made up of this, you know, it's predominantly kind of folky uh, or more of a kind of folky orchestral sound. Um, and there's a couple of old Irish folk ballads on there, um, uh, sung by Frank Patterson, who's like a famous kind of Irish tenor. Um, one of which is Danny Boy, which is just you know absolutely destroys me every time I kind of listen to that. Um, and it's yeah, it's just like a really beautiful, beautiful piece of music, and I think really evocative of the period as well. Um, this this kind of jazzy prohibition era. There's something really romantic and nostalgic and almost like dreamlike about it. Yeah, the Coen Brothers, their soundtracks. Are, are really great. They they really know their music, particularly their their films, which are either set in a certain period or have a certain protagonist who they want the soundtrack to reflect. So, mm. well, the Big Lebowski wasn't vinyl; it was CD back then. But that yeah. was a big soundtrack for me and my friends at a certain age. Um, certain tracks on that really burned into the into the consciousness. Oh yeah, I mean, they're, they're one of those. I think they're they're sort of jukebox soundtracks, especially. 
Big Lebowski, there's a few others, but they're, they're, they're some of those songs are just so synonymous. You, you almost like can't disassociate the song from that film now. Um, there's a few on there. I mean, in, in the same way that Quentin Tarantino has this knack of being able to kind of reclaim these almost like forgotten pop artifacts. I think the Coen brothers do that really well. And then there's Inside Lewin Davis, which is an amazing performance score of original songs. Yeah, I was I was gonna I was gonna include that actually um, in, in in this little chat, and uh, I, I've got a sort of ten inch of that, and I think it's it's um, Oscar Isaac actually performing with the matey from Mumford and Sons. And uh, it, but it's a yeah, it's a really I mean the the original songs for that. That I think, and on a par with that is Alex Turner's soundtrack to Submarine. Are you a fan of that? Oh right, that was an EP, wasn't it? There wasn't much, yeah, yeah. much on that. Yeah, it's like it's like four or five tracks, I think. But that that again is like I think those two, in terms of like more recent ones, but they but they're very much rooted in a, in a more kind of traditional style of music. I think uh, they're 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 amazing. What was your third one, Adam? Third one is, and I think this will appeal to you particularly, um, is Goblin's soundtrack and slash score to uh, Dawn of the Dead, which uh-huh. notor- notoriously was kind of recut uh, for, for European release by Dario Argento. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I think if you, if you've ever seen the the US um, the US version. Which of course George A. Romero has has his kind of name top billing on. That that film is is much more. I think with a with a lot of um, Romero films, when you watch them back, you kind of pick this up. But there's there's a lot more kind of humour in that cut. Um, and and he 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 he's a real big fan of um, of like library music. Obviously, his, his films feature a lot of that predominantly. And th- this one, Argento, basically like stripped all that back and. You know, he he was like a um, goblin, and him obviously go way back, and they they'd kind of. I think this 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 was like deep into their relationship working with him, and uh, and so he he understandably really elevates their music on on this film, um, and it's just it's a weird soundtrack. I've, the, the version I've got of it is um, is I think it's a reissue from like the early two thousands. So it's not the it's not the original nineteen seventy eight version. I think it's got a couple of extra tracks which were included on on this particular release because they wrote a load of music which basically like isn't included on the soundtrack on on the actual film on on either version. Um, and it's just this re- really kind of bonkers, uh, extremely eclectic soundtrack. Uh, opens with like a very very distinctive goblin esque, uh, you know, horror you know slow eerie synths lots of like choral vocal sounds there's this sort of like cold fog descending as you as you start listening to it and then it kind of just goes off in so many random wonderful directions and you know it's it's like they, goblin started off as like a prog rock band and there's kind of some prog stuff in there and there's one song which is like a kind of 1920s ragtime um tune um, there's one like weird, weird kind of. It's almost like African drum beats and like weird, exotic, like tribal sounds, which is I don't think is aged particularly well. I, I, it, at times, it's like they're just throwing anything at the wall and seeing what sticks. But 
um, it's, it's a really, it's one of those things where uh, I sort of mentioned earlier, sometimes I have to be in the right mood to listen to a certain piece of music. And especially, I think that's especially true of film scores, mm-hmm. but with this, I mean, it caters for every possible mood you could be in. <laughs> so it's actually yeah. a really interesting listen and you kind of, you know, even, even though I'm, I'm quite familiar with it now, I've listened to it you know, many times. Every time I put it on, I, I'm sort of rocked by like what comes on next and can never quite remember the order of the sequence. And it's, it's certainly not, it's certainly not a soundtrack to just kind of sit and lull away the time listening to, because um, it really does, you know, grab your attention in, in, I suppose that was the intent of it, but it's, it's, it's a really quite bizarre and quite brilliant work, I think. Oh yeah. And their, their earlier soundtracks, like with Deep Red, etc. Really great. And a lot of that stuff, a lot of the Italian horror movie or European 70s kind of movie soundtracks are now the sort of thing that gets these luxury issues. It's crazy, probably, for someone who was a fan in the 80s or 90s where this stuff was really hard to get hold of. There's a really good line of compilations I'll um, tip the hat to called Vault of Horror. I think they're like two or three volumes in now, and they are like they they really just find the all these themes from these deep cut cult horror movies from you know, European horror movies, and they've got an amazing liner notes by Alan Jones, um, you know the horror movie expert who's one of the co-directors of Fright Fest. I've got one of those, and I, yeah, you have to be in a certain frame of mind because it's this heady mix of psychedelic jazz, world music, freakout stuff, as well as very abrasive avant-garde classical. Um, and easy listening thrown in for good measure sometimes but it's mind-bending stuff yeah it's in, i think there's a lot of stuff from that time which especially european stuff which was you know not even not even issued on vinyl sometimes or if it was it was um, bootlegged or they were kind of unofficial releases and i remember there's a, one of my um kind of go-to and, and most like treasured record shops is, is a place in brighton where, where i lived for a short time and uh, it's, it's right by the train station, if you've ever been there, called the Record Album, which uh, right. back in the day, I, I, lived, I lived in Brighton for a short time and I would go in there um, at least kind of once a week and bother, bother the old guy who ran it. And uh, this is kind of going back a few years, so I'm not even sure if he's, I think it's open still operating, but I'm not sure whether he's still running it, but it's been there for like forever. And uh, it is... I mean, if you're into movie soundtracks, especially, but just any kind of old, obscure, you know, they've they've got lots of like library music and, and weird, and wonderful stuff, um, and that's where that's where I picked up a lot of this stuff, including the the Dawn of the Dead soundtrack, actually. Hmm. Um, and and he's got some, they've got some incredibly rare, a, a lot of like old European horror soundtracks, like exploitation movies. Um, it's 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 a real treasure trove of stuff. So I definitely recommend people check that out if you get the opportunity yeah definitely should we look look at some of these listener contributions so we put out a tweet saying we were going to talk about film soundtracks on vinyl that were close to our hearts and listeners of course chimed in with some incredible finds here yeah i saw one i gotta say as, as much as i've uh outed myself as a as a vinyl snob and, and been quite dismissive of these of these swanky reissues and special editions. I think someone posted a um, a, a picture of the, uh, the the soundtrack to the Safdie Brothers' Heaven Knows What, which is pressed mm-hmm. on this kind of 
bright pink vinyl and it's cut into the shape of like a ninja death star which is uh is is quite is quite an amazing object again not not really sure it's one of those i'd I'd ever want to really play and i can't i can't really think what the music in heaven knows what is actually but um yeah that that is that is pretty amazing it really is and i suppose it feeds into the sense of it's the the physical object and nowadays maybe our relationship with films is so distant you go and see a film maybe we don't necessarily buy it on dvd or blu-ray if if that's not if you're not a disc-based media person if you instead stream things and so you want to be able to have something in your home that says that displays your love of a film your attachment to a film and gosh that that is really cool that 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 suggestion came from rue lambruso God, yeah, heaven knows what EP, Ariel Pink and Blood Orange, this pink ninja star. <laughs> but there are, there are people here really putting us to shame. Some some amazing uh, collections here of classic stuff. Emma Fraser sent us a picture of her, her, you know, stuff from her dad's record collection, High Society, Thunderball, I Walk the Line, Johnny Cash, some really oh, yeah. great stuff. And I think whenever I go digging in, record stores that's the sort of stuff i end up kind of like flicking through is scores from the 60s or 70s mm-hmm. the one that i have come very close to buying a couple of times from my local record store down here in, in south london they've got a really great copy of um the soundtrack to star trek to the wrath of khan oh, <laughs> which wow. is such an absolute barnstormer of of a soundtrack <laughs> and would be really fun to put on um any time of day if you just want you know a kick up the backside. <laughs> but I need to do I need to shout out Sam Clements here. I think we mentioned him on a previous podcast, but he is out of many people I know, somebody who really goes for film soundtracks. In fact, most of his vinyl collection is film soundtracks. He sent a picture of just the pile which seems to be filling his entire room. Highlights including a picture disc of the Moana song soundtrack. But some real nice cuts here like the soundtrack to the Ghibli film My Neighbor Totoro, uh, as well as 20th Century Women, and oh, an amazing score for the anime Your Name. And that they're scores where you go and watch a film like Your Name, and you come out and you think, I need to hear those songs again, and maybe that's the impulse that t- leads you straight to the online store where you can order them. That's the probably the same impulse that when I was a teenager, and I think, you know, the first... Quentin Tarantino film I saw in the cinemas was Kill Bill Volume 1 and it's impossible to come out of seeing that film as an impressionable youngster and not immediately think I need to hear that soundtrack again because that has like seven or eight standout song sequences and again as you said Tarantino is the great taste maker who finds these obscure covers or obscure forgotten songs and blows your mind with them. I think what what I tend to do is like rather than buy the the soundtrack to, to, to like a Tarantino film, I'll track down the songs I like and then try and find copies of the album those songs feature on or featured on originally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll, I'll be like try, trying to look, looking out for some like old Nancy Sinatra or Paul, Paul Revere and, and that kind of stuff. It's like st- stuff actually, which probably for the most part, you, you, you know, you're not going to play it a lot and there's there's maybe like one or two tracks you'll actually like and make, would make more sense to actually just invest in the album. But um, I kind of like listening to things 
in their original context as well, I guess. That's true. Although I'm, I'm a great believer in the compilation as a cultural force. Recently, I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, during this time of lockdown, I feel like I've been regressing into my teenage self and I've been mm. listening to music and going back into um, obsessions that I've not really looked at in 20 plus years. And in the process, I've been thinking about how important compilations were in shaping my music taste. Like one I posted on Twitter the other day was a two-disc uh, album called The Greatest Air Guitar Album Ever. <laughs> and looking at that now, I think I was maybe 12 when that came out, maybe 13. My, all of my favourite songs <laughs> circa that time were on this album and I'd never heard so many of the bands on there and then yes that did then filter out and I followed the bands separately or the artists Mm. separately but I really think that a very well curated jukebox soundtrack can go a long way yeah I think it just it depends on what on what the album is and I think Tarantino or or the Coen brothers they just I mean they they just had a a, 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 you know tastes that kind of correlate very much with my own and it's more again trying I guess trying to get even at second hand trying to tap into that idea of discovery and going out mm-hmm. myself and trying to find this stuff um what sort of a listener are you adam when you like pull out a record what what do you look for I, I i tend to sort of pull stuff out put it on sit down you know listen to it if it's something that i know really well and it's something that i've had for a long time then I'll tend to just kind of let it play and not really kind of think about anything else and, you know, not really even kind of study the, the sleeve or anything. If it's something new, then I'll then I'll maybe do that. Um, I want to just find out more information about it. And so, sometimes I'll kind of listen to stuff and actually start sort of Googling about the backstory of, of it or, you know, finding out about the artist and stuff I, I kind of like reading musical biography stuff mostly online um while i'm listening but yeah t- tend tend to basically just listen to stuff with nothing else happening other than me basically in the room with the music and uh yeah i'm i'm i'm, a, I'm a, like a no skips guy as well i d- I, I can uh-huh. i can hold my hand on my heart and, and say i don't think i've ever I saw this was like a, a big discussion on Twitter recently of like what what albums have like no skips, <laughs> and uh, and and I thought, wow, oh, I honestly don't think I've ever skipped a song on an album. I've I've maybe listened to like the single version, but once I've actually like put a piece of music on, you know, what an album's what like thirty forty minutes or something. Um. Yeah, so so there's that, and and but I think the, the the vinyl thing for me, especially regarding film soundtracks, is, and this is a a shocking confession perhaps to make, but I don't actually own in terms of physical media, that's that's kind of it for me. Like I don't own any DVDs or Blu-rays or anything like that. Um, you know, obvi- obviously there is like a world of cinema online, um, especially grateful for when when you're not able to actually go out and go to the cinema um but i I guess my my sort of preferred you know environment for actually consuming and enjoying cinema is going to the cinema right Mm -hmm. um but in terms of in terms of music it is it is like putting on 
although I've obviously got like Spotify and I'll kind of, you know, trawl through YouTube for like weird, weird stuff that's not on there or, or other platforms. Um, yeah, the, the, the kind of ultimate listening experience for me is putting something on, on, on my record player and actually just sitting and listening to it. Oh, and is it a solitary thing or do you have housemates around while you're doing it? No, do you have not to always. I mean, compromise? My, no, not always. My, my partner is, uh, you know, she, there's, there's lots of stuff that she re- really loves from, from uh, my collection. And actually, like, a lot of it's hers as well. Um, uh-huh. And, and, we, and, our, and our, we've got pretty similar tastes. I mean, there's some stuff which uh, which I tend to only put on when she's out. Um <laughs> You know, she 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 won't really abide my my reggae and uh, <laughs> other stuff. But yes, film soundtracks. I think I, that that's a kind of weird one because I, I say I, I don't really actually have that many film soundtracks. So they are a kind of strange thing because I think unless you you know the film that it's from particularly mm-hmm. well, there, there maybe aren't that many that you could just put on as a piece of music and and kind of appreciate just purely on their own own terms. Or, or, or obviously you can do that, but I guess it doesn't have the same you know, might not have the same connection with, with you. It's interesting you say that, you know, my home listening setup is that I, I do have to compromise with the, the tastes of my partner, but also yeah. the baby who maybe doesn't want to have records on all day long, would rather listen <laughs> to Baby Shark instead. But that little little bit of time in the evening we have together, if we want to put a record on it, it's very important we pick the right thing. So maybe no Black Sabbath... <laughs> So, not necessarily soundtracks, but this sort of space of modern classical, where you know a lot of these guys have worked in film soundtracks. You think of Max Richter or Johan mm. Johansson. Um, there's a really great to go back to compilations. There's a really great disc we have, which Deutsche Grammophon put out a few years ago, called Expo One, which seemed to which was almost their statement on what modern day classical orchestral music was. And it's a it's a label sampler, so it has all sorts of stuff. But it does have um, a piece from the There Will Be Blood soundtrack, the Johnny Greenwood score. It does have a lot of Johan Johansson and Max Richter in there as well. But their actual albums sound like film scores anyway, and many of their original pieces would be excerpted and used in film and TV. Do you have any soundtracks that you'd still like to get someday that you've not got in your collection already, Adam? Oh, there's loads. I mean, I, I actually, I actually got rid of a load um, a few years back because they they were ones that were sort of classic, classic film scores that um, I I just sort of thought, well, I, I'm never going to listen to this. You know, a lot of stuff from like the sixties and seventies. Nothing, nothing particularly exciting or 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 rare or valuable or anything like that. Um, as I say, I sort of, I sort of really kept on to and clung on to the stuff which for whatever reason and and this is something I've only really come to realize I, I guess after the fact or something subconscious really but I've, I've really kept on to the stuff which I, I have more of a personal connection to the to the film itself mm-hmm. you know um a, a, a recent example actually we you just mentioned Johnny Greenwood and I think his fa- and his Phantom Thread soundtrack. I think it is like one of the most amazing pieces of modern classical music, and that that was one that um, I think the first time I saw the film. And actually, we, we're extremely lucky to go to um, the 
performance with the live score that he conducted with yeah. uh, at the Royal Festival Hall, and um, yeah, had, had kind of like front row seats for that, and and that was kind of amazing. I'd I'd seen the film a couple of times by that point, so it was it was a real. I was really able to just sort of let myself be immersed in the music and and concentrate on that, and that was one I I sort of had to as, as soon as that came out on on vinyl, I was kind of straight there. Um, so the, there's a few like that, but as, as I say, it, it tends to be the stuff which, you know, has some kind of like formative um, relationship with. Well, I was looking at my want list or to buy list, and I well, it's it's growing now with some of the suggestions from listeners that they've been sending <laughs> in. But Phantom Thread, I would love to own that someday. And I think it it forms a brilliant yin yang with the "You Were Never Really Here" soundtrack that Johnny Greenwood did um, just beforehand. A very different vibe, but another beautiful score. And then I also really love the um, the soundtrack to "If Beale Street Could Talk," a really great melancholic jazz-based soundtrack. And this it's a very beautiful cover that that they they put on the the vinyl release as well I'd love to get those someday mm. but really for me it is just this sense of utility whenever I'm there in a record store looking at these albums, sometimes it's the thrill of discovery as we said, but sometimes it's just will I listen to this on a, on a Thursday evening the baby's in bed and we're look, and I'm looking at my partner, she's looking at me and was like, what are we going to listen to now? am I going to pull out the score for uncut gems and completely ruin our mood for the evening or, yeah. or what? because that's a score that I know a lot of people really do love and that's one that I, would, I could never think about listening to outside of the context of the film. Are there any other contexts or, or situations where you would put on a film soundtrack? Like maybe if you were like, you know, out running or, um, or on, on the move in some way? Or... I, I, first of all, I don't run. <laughs> not, <laughs> not an exercise fiend. Um, I, I don't... A lot, I know people who listen to massive playlists of soundtracks when they're working when they're writing because it's not primarily vocal or lyric based but it does have this sense of dynamics and drive that's not no i I listen to band based music all day long instead there's just too much too many other genres out there to go and explore i think yeah i think that's mostly true for me i mean you know when when i'm when i'm like in in secondhand record shops and i think the soundtracks section will be like the last place I look or go to because um, there are a hundred other things or artists or genres that I'll be more interested in at any given time mm. and I go through phases of picking up stuff I, I, in fact one of the reasons I actually got rid of a lot of stuff a few, a few years ago was um, was for space more than anything mm-hmm. um, just decluttering and you know, giving give, hopefully giving something to a better home, and someone actually get will get some use out of it. Um, but yeah, I, I think I've, I've definitely not I'm definitely not hooked on specifically film soundtracks in the same way I am with other artists and genres, and just and just kind of vinyl, I suppose, generally. Um, and and it's weird. There isn't there isn't really a rhyme or reason to the. I mean, I get I guess the the three that I picked out for discussion you know here uh, they're all quite different I don't think there's a real mm. apart from the the personal connection I have with the films and, and, and the material I think that you know 
they don't really conform to a specific style or genre no no I suppose to wrap up it would be good to just include a few more suggestions from friends and family we did ask David and Hannah what their key albums were if they were going to suggest a handful Hannah did mention you and Everly here the Johnny Greenwood soundtrack but also a soundtrack that I think it's very pivotal to many people of a certain age, the soundtrack for Drive. Mm. Um, of course, again, an album that's great for capturing a certain genre at a certain moment in musical history. Um, but then also Hannah has the soundtrack for Her Smell, which I still haven't got around to seeing. I can't wait to watch it. And I hear that the songs are pretty good on that soundtrack. That, that's an interesting one, because I'm pretty sure it's all, it's all original, you know, songs. The band... In the within the film, um, are, are performing obviously their own original songs, which were written for the film, and that, that you know that's a really good shout actually. And David had the young girls of Rochefort, the Michel Legrand soundtrack. Yeah, um, he called it his spiritual guiding light. It's very Davy. Nice, yeah. And you you were saying how uh, soundtrack albums that sometimes you can't just put on in the background and let wash over you. Um, Phil Olson on Twitter sent in a picture of his very beautiful copy of the soundtrack to Moon, the Clint Mansell score, which mm. I think is one because it's a post-rock type soundtrack. Yeah. You could just have on in the background. Do you think there because there are some bands who. And so, and some and and you're someone as you said who who sort of gravitates more towards groups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are some artists and bands whose film work slots in very neatly with the rest of their discography, right? Yeah. And you could kind of happily, you know, have have something. You could pick something out and and not even think about it in terms of it being a film, a piece of film work. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas I think that, I mean, the artists I've mentioned, I don't, I don't think I have any other work by them. I don't have any other mm-hmm. Ry Cooda albums, although although he's made, you know, tens and tens of records. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to, to some um, and would consider myself a kind of fan of his, his stuff generally. That That is like the only one I actually own. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a, I think there's a bit of a distinction between, there's, there's so many great, bands who've made great film records or film, you know, film music. Um, I, I, I guess they're not the ones I kind of think of first and foremost. Right. When, when we're discussing this stuff. Well, because I'd probably say that the, like the, the Mogwai albums that I listen to the most nowadays are their soundtracks. Their, their soundtrack to the TV series Le Revenant is you know, one that I return to often, much more than their classic albums earlier in their career. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I heard someone recently going very hard for the Pink Floyd soundtracks they did earlier in their career, which often was, get forgotten about. Yeah, I was thinking about Pink Floyd and and the Kinks and and those bands and um, yeah, it's, it, it's you know, so many bands of that period obviously made, you know, did did original compositions for films mm-hmm. um, and I suppose a lot of them the music has kind of aged better than than the films we're certainly yeah, more, more renowned today but I guess because of the legacy and the 
you know the the how the reputation of the bands and the artists but um and yeah david bowie someone we mentioned earlier is another one um mm -hmm. and yeah the, i mean the the beatles being one i i guess you could kind of say things like help and a hard day's night uh I mean, they are kind of technically film soundtracks, but I, I wouldn't count them in, in this sort of conversation. Oh, so then would you count the Graduate soundtrack? Yeah, I was thinking about that and um, Pat Garrett as well. Mm -hmm. and, and I must say another, another shocking confession. I, I'm, I'm very much not a Bob Dylan fan, um, mm. but but I think Pat Garrett is, is, is just a, a yeah, genius basically and and uh yeah it's 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 interesting i suppose you i suppose you do have to include them but um the graduates one of those i think i got rid of actually i think it was one of the oh. one of those kind of totemic classic soundtracks that i picked up because i i felt like it was one that any aspiring record collector and movie fan had to really have and yeah, I just felt that I, I didn't really have any connection to it. I mean, I, I like the film and like the music a lot, but again, it just didn't, you know, it was, it was quite an easy one for me to cast off, I think, in the end. Hmm. Is, is Simon and Garfunkel a, a group that you have other albums by, or is that the only one? Oh, that's a good question. I'm sure I do. I do have, I've probably got like Bridge Over Troubled Water or something. I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Simon fan. <laughs> I'm a kind of great. I'm a Graceland fan, but I'm I'm not um not 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 as much of the of the two. You see, this is getting off topic slightly, but Simon and Garfunkel are one of those acts that I I say they have a greatest hits that are as good as any of their individual albums in terms of uniformity and a single work. Mm. And weirdly, they all seem to be on Columbia. So it's like Simon and Garfunkel, Leonard Cohen, and Bob Dylan all released single disc greatest hits within the first handful of years of their careers that mm. just stand up now as single units um, side by side with their original albums. Yeah. I, I would, there's one actually, which I haven't mentioned, which is um, the, the, the Quadrophenia soundtrack. Right. Which is, uh, which is, it falls into a, in, into a kind of strange category in that it is obviously a, a, a f the film kind of came after the music mm -hmm. um, so it's obviously a sort of rock, rock opera double album you know conceived by Pete Townsend and and uh, and, and I, I love the film as well but the, the but the music and the who especially were a band that my, my dad you know they're, they're kind of one of his f favorite bands who he saw live a few times and so I kind of grew up listening to them a lot, and um, yeah, the the, the Quadrophenia soundtrack—that's that's one I kind of inherited off him. But that that is one of those I don't really kind of associate it with the film, I suppose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, although it is obviously very cinematic, and you you kind of listen to it, and it puts you in that headspace. But that's just one of those that I I absolutely love the music first and foremost. Um, but what yeah, one I wouldn't really. I've thought otherwise to to sort of include in this discussion. Yeah, so so many different types of film soundtrack out there. I think we've covered many of them, haven't we, Adam? It's a pretty broad church. I, I mean, I'd love to hear if, if listeners, you know, want to get in touch with some suggestions, and maybe mm -hmm. there's some other strange crossovers and you know 
other sort of definitions of the movie soundtrack that we haven't really covered here but listeners i hope you've enjoyed this discussion on movie soundtracks and vinyl please do send us in your recommendations your tips maybe record stores we should check out the usual channels at truth and movies on twitter truth and movies at tcolondon.com via email or at the comment section at lwlies.com slash podcast adam thank you so much for nerding out with me this evening talking about vinyl I'm Michael Eder, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.